to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, December 9th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Tuesday was an eventful day in college basketball around here. Kansas sweated out a one-point victory over Creighton, and beat writers Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore stopped by to talk about what's probably the Jayhawks' best victory of the season. Kansas State? Oh boy. A 13-point loss to Division II Forhey State, and that left the program open to some social media ridicule and had Coach Bruce Weber apologizing after the game. Is it time to sound the alarm on the Wildcats? It may be. Kellis Robinette and I discuss where Kansas State goes from here, but let's get going with Jesse and Gary. Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore are with us. They were uh, covering the Kansas-Creighton game on on Tuesday afternoon. Let me just say, first of all, I am down with the 4 p.m. tip-off. I don't know about you guys, uh, but having an NFL game on Monday at 4 p.m., that Steelers-Washington uh, game, and then KU-Creighton on Tuesday, I'm kind of digging 4 p.m. live sports action. Were you guys good with that? I was yeah, fine I with it, that. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd, Blair, I think I think this is all of us getting older. I think this is this is the hands of time turning for us to be like four p.m. Yes, or seven thirty p.m. No, but uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. What do you think, Gary? Yeah, I liked it better than eleven a.m. games. Um, I thought it was nice. I I timed it, and I was all done with my work by like um, seven thirty which isn't bad for a four o'clock game. No. Although if one more free throw had dropped, you would have been yeah. later than seven thirty. Um, in all likelihood, Kansas, uh, ekes out the one point victory, 73, 72, um, really good matchup. And I thought, you know, for teams that are as good as these two teams are and, uh, and for as little, you know, uh, as strange as the season has been in terms of preparation, I thought it was a pretty well-played game, high-level game, and um, Kansas seemed to be in control at several points, but just could not put a, put, put away Creighton. And um, uh, and and you know, in the end, they 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 get the W, but it, it really could have been a coin flip game. So let's just get some impressions on, on this. What were your Jesse? What what was your biggest takeaway from from the outcome? Yeah, I mean, Kansas is a tough team to figure out, honestly. Um, They are kind of doing what Bill Self does in a lot of seasons, which is they win every single close game, especially every single close game that happens at Allen Fieldhouse. And yet the the rankings I look at, the advanced numbers I look at, they're basically falling like a rock because – you know that they're not performing that well over the course of it, and they're not beating teams by large margins, and they're not really super impressive with what they do. And I kind of wrote this after the North Dakota State game. I I don't know what to make of it exactly at this point because I don't think that the way KU is playing now is how KU is going to be playing in two months. I think they're going to be a primary five-out team here once Bill Self can get a little break, can get a little practice time, can get with his coaches and, and scheme up some new things. But right now, I think they're sort of stuck because when you play, you know, six games in 13 days and your whole offseason and summer and preseason, you were planning on playing one big and four guards. And now you're trying to play five guards and you only have one play in for that. It's just really difficult to completely, um, you know, change all of your personnel, change all of your plays, change everything that you do in that short a time period, especially when you're trying to take on a, a top 10 type team in Creighton. So I. Uh, 
you know, Dave McCormick had a decent first half and then had an awful second half. And obviously he made the biggest play of the game with that pass out to Jalen Wilson for the three uh, late, which gave KU the lead for good. But uh, he cannot continue playing like this and have KU be successful. I mean, he has been the biggest drain on KU offensively just because he's shooting the ball all the time. He's turning the ball over all the time, and he's not an efficient player because he's not going toward the basket when he's shooting. He's not getting close shots. He's shooting these fadeaway jumpers, and then he can't get the offensive rebound when he shoots those. So uh, something's got to change with KU right now, basically. I mean, they're honestly pretty fortunate to be 5-1, and one, and this was just another example of that. I thought Creighton missed a lot of open looks. I thought KU made some looks, um, you know, probably shot better above their heads a little bit, uh, including a Christian Brown three that banked in from a crazy angle. So, I mean, all things considered, I, I, I don't want to use the L word extensively throughout the course of the season, but I think KU's been pretty lucky so far, and I think that KU was pretty lucky against Creighton, but you don't take the victory off the scoreboard. So I think KU has to feel pretty good about being 5-1 and one at this point when they really have not played that well and have yet to get around to what their identity is going to be. Hey, Gary, one thing that, that isn't lucky about Kansas is the play of Jalen Wilson. Um, you know, in, in their two, probably the two best wins, Kentucky and, and Creighton, he is, um, he's been fantastic. Really double-doubles, over 20 points in both, 23 in both, I think, yeah. and, and double-doubles. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know he was this, I, I, I assumed he was good, but I didn't know he was this good. Has he caught you by surprise a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Um, he really saved the game eight for 12, four threes, only two misses on threes, 10 rebounds. Um, but, uh, I think coming into KU, he was ranked in the forties, uh, so yeah, he's been kind of a surprise. But yeah, and I guess he's one of those guys that really did take to heart last year. It wasn't just talk. He went home and fixed up his body to where he wanted to get it and uh, obviously worked on his game somewhere during the heart of the pandemic. So he uh it'll be interesting to see if he does what Paul Pierce did between his freshman and sophomore year got great and stayed great? Or is this the real Jalen Wilson? I'll tell you, I, I like that analogy, Gary, because you, 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 you were there. You covered Paul Pierce, um, his career, and he did make that jump from freshman to sophomore year um, and, and was in All-America by a junior. Probably should have been in All-America as a sophomore, but was definitely that, uh, that player as a junior. And, of course, we know what Paul went on to be. But um, I should I, say, of course, redshirt freshman before the fans freak out. He no, he's you're right. You're freshman, right. Technically, uh, but it's his second year at KU. Right, sort of the Ben McLemore path. Right, yeah. um, sat out his freshman year and then played as a as a redshirt freshman. Um, so, but he but he did have the uh, you know the play at the at the very end where. Uh, Gary, I don't know how close you were to uh, uh, the, the the play, the foul on on Wilson, but just I guess that's a redshirt freshman, you know, mistake that he'll he'll learn from. Yeah, I noticed on the post game with Gurley, Bill had said he didn't think it was a foul, and in his talk with the print media, he said he'd need to look at the replay. Self thought he blocked it and. I did not see the replay. Jesse, I bet, has. I do not know. Uh, I just figured Marcus would hit all three free throws and they would play at least one overtime. But 
Jesse, was that a foul? Uh, it's tough. I mean, it's usually one I don't see called in that situation. But I, listen, I don't watch very much NBA. I feel like it's one that's called much more in the NBA than it is in college. One of those where if you're sort of in the guy's space a little bit and he goes up for the shot and he kind of contorts his body a little bit and, and sells it, I, I that's, thought that's kind of what Zagorowski did. He, he sort of sold the foul when it went up and the official made the call. So I don't think it's something that it's a call that I see very much at the college level. I think I probably see it more at the pro level, but um, you know, I, I think more often than not, it's not called, but if you're Jalen Wilson, you probably still have to be a little bit smarter than that. You, you, you can't risk the possibility of giving a guy three free throws. You just got to, you know, in a, crunch time situation those shots are very difficult to make because you are being guarded everybody knows you're shooting a three so maybe just a little bit more of a, a little bit have a half step back and, and let him shoot that shot and, and take your chances from there and he's a, look he's an excellent player too Zagorowski so um, you know he, he it was and, and, and Jalen Wilson's a, a new college player it was um, uh, it was a smart play on Zagorowski's part and um, and, and he got the job done until the final free throw, which um, I, I thought Kansas had a little bit of an edge after after Zagorowski made the first two. That then Bill self substituted, right? He could put yeah. a couple of bigger bodies in the game, and that I think served as a little bit of a you know a little bit of an icing moment for you know for Zagorowski. And of course, he was long on the third one, and um, and then time ran out as the ball was batted around out of bounds. So uh, so Kansas gets the win. Hey. Um, Jesse, I know you wrote about this, and I was curious about it as well. Um, the sort of how how uh, Bill Self used Marcus Garrett in the game, and um, and and you know how he may may have uh, learned a lesson from uh, the the North Dakota State game. Yeah, it's it's sort of fascinating to go into these little details because. Um <laughs> when you cover a team over time, sometimes these things work out, sometimes they don't. But I think Bill Self has come to be not only very adaptable, but he does sort of self-criticize and, and look into what he does and what he doesn't or what he does well and then sometimes what he doesn't do well and he takes it to heart and he changes if he needs to so the previous game against North Dakota State Marcus Garrett played all 20 minutes in the second half and he was awful in the final few minutes and he was trying to drive had no elevation on his jump shot Bill Self admitted afterwards that Marcus looked tired and he basically said well he looked tired but I played him all these minutes and so that was obviously not very smart on my part and so you saw this game against Creighton and again you got to remember, Bill Self's the guy that played Devontae Graham 40 minutes, 10 straight games. So he has no problem with a guy, hey, if, if he trusts you and believes you can handle it, he'll play you 40 minutes. I mean, he has no issue with that. I think he played, Devontae played 14 out of 15 games in that stretch, 40 minutes uh, in a row. You know, and it's just, it's nuts. But, you know, nine minutes left. KU's kind of trying to pull away here. You want to get your best players on the court, but Bill Self pulls out Marcus Garrett and sits him for three minutes. Again, you, you, he looked at that previous situation, realized Marcus was terrible down the stretch. Marcus comes back in at the six-minute mark, and that first defensive possession he had, I mean, Robbie Hummel even talked about it on the ESPN broadcast, about he just hounded Mitchell Ballock on a on a switch and just you know got out to him on a three, stopped his dribble, hounded him after he picked up his dribble. It led to an air ball by Creighton, and you just saw a completely different player. So just sort of kind of one of those nuances, uh, a small thing, but a small thing that can turn into a big thing. And then Marcus Garrett, obviously, in the final two minutes, also finished a drive through contact with a much better uh, vertical leap than he showed in the previous game against North Dakota right. State. So I, I thought it was a, a, a nice 
a small thing for Bill Self to do where he looked, he saw that he had sort of screwed up in the previous game. He put Marcus Garrett in a, in a good position to succeed, and Marcus Garrett ended up succeeding at the end of the game. And that's sort of what coaching is all about, is, is finding those little edges and exploiting them. And I thought Bill Self did a pretty good job with that when it came to Marcus Garrett. Gary, it was the first game that uh, fans were allowed in Allen Fieldhouse in more than just a you know a handful. Uh, 2,500 tickets were sold. I was really surprised. I'm watching the first half, and there was a, kind of a, a questionable offensive foul called against a Creighton player, and I heard boo- boos, <laughs> a lot of boos. So yeah. Creighton had some fans there. And, um, and I noticed Bill Self said something about it after the game, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on what the atmosphere was like in a – um, in an Allen Fieldhouse, that was what about an eighth full to capacity? Yeah, it seemed uh, twenty five hundred fans spread apart with the cutouts still in there. Seemed like a real game, you know. Unlike the first two games with no fans, just a few parents. But uh, in the southwest corner where the media sat in the second deck it was all Creighton fans. And I asked some guy where he got his ticket and he said he just bought it off the KU website for 75 bucks. But uh, they decided Creighton fans that this was a big game and they were going to drive in. And however many of them live in Kansas city, they were going to go. And I think self estimated it as a quarter of the crowd or whatever but I'm not sure how many hundred were there, but they kind of removed the home court advantage. And I listened to McDermott after the game, and he uh, pointed out that the team could hear their chants when they were playing defense. And McDermott laughed and said he, he wonders how many finagled their way to get tickets. So it fired up Creighton. And uh, that means it hurt KU a little bit. So Bill Self, who never complains about the fans like Roy always did after the Colorado game every year. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Saturday afternoon Colorado game. <laughs> 2000 wouldn't come, and Roy used that every year to yep, yep. remind them. But uh, Self said that he would, <laughs> he would personally buy the tickets if fans <laughs> – <laughs> rather than have them sell them to Creighton or the any opponent fans. Oh, funny. Um, so, anyway, KU gets the win and um, and moves on. They've got an odd weekend of games, right? Friday, they got a Friday Sunday coming up. Uh, no Saturday game. Is it Omaha on Friday and is it Tarleton State on 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 uh, Sunday? Yep, one o'clock Sunday, okay. six o'clock Friday. And then Big Twelve after that, right? These are the last two non-conference games, at least until um, you know the SEC Challenge game. That's right. You know, it's starting Texas Tech on Thursday in Lubbock. Um, I've got this will surprise nobody on the call, but I've got Ken Palm pulled up very conveniently. <laughs> and um, here's how KU starts Big Twelve conference play: at Texas Tech, the fourth-ranked team in Ken Palm; uh, at home against West Virginia, the sixth-ranked team in Ken Palm; and then at uh, I'm sorry. At home against Texas, the fifth-ranked team in, in Ken Palm. So uh, this is sort of this is sort of the Big Twelve shaping out the way that we talked about in the preseason, which is there are five 
damn good teams <laughs> in this conference. And Oklahoma is sort of emerging as the six, which could be kind of a fringe top 25 team. So, yeah, this thing is about to get real serious real fast. And KU can't even get to to really winter break or ec- Christmas break without facing Texas Tech and West Virginia to start off with. So you really can't let your guard down in this particular basketball season because uh, there's always going to be a, t- a tough team around the corner in the Big 12. All right. Sounds good, guys. Great catching up with you, and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, Kellis Robinette, uh, you heard the alarm sounding. <laughs> Very um, important. <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, I, I think that from that was from last night, um, about nine o'clock, when the final score rolled in. I was getting text messages from people because I didn't have the Kansas State Fort Hay State basketball game on. I was just following it on a score app, uh, was paying attention to something else, and I saw the halftime score, and I just thought, no, this is silly. K State will be back, and no, um, down six at <laughs> halftime, and it ended up uh, much greater than that by the end. So Kansas State loses big to Division II Fort Hayes State um, of the MIAA. And uh, that was – there have been so many good moments in Bramlage Coliseum that you have seen, uh, you know, in, in, in um, you know, the, the Wildcats. Uh, we, we, we saw them win the uh, co, you know, share of the Big 12 championship a couple years ago. Um, I can remember, you know, beating the, the Michael Beasley game when he beat, when he beat KU, ending a long losing streak to the Jayhawks. I can go back. I can tons of fun games uh, and, and great moments for the Wildcats at Bramwich. I think last night was just the opposite. Maybe the worst moment for Kansas State basketball in Bramwich Coliseum. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it, if it wasn't, you can see it from where we were at last <laughs> night. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, it was bad. It, it was appropriate that there were only 15% of fans allowed in. So I don't think anybody else wanted to be there to see it. It was just uh, as bad of a performance as I can remember ever seeing, honestly, um, from from this from any Kansas State team. And, and you're right. At halftime, they only trailed by six. Uh, and you kind of thought, well, they'll switch the gear and they'll win, but uh, just with the team they had out there, there was no no gear to switch. They looked inept on offense. They seemed to not really even know what they were doing on defense. And out, outside of Mike McGurl, nobody really you know showed any leadership or looked like they didn't want to lose. And uh, Fort Hayes State played out of their minds, made great shots, made Kansas State look very bad, which is uh, a concerning thing considering they're a Division II team. Uh, at a considerable talent disadvantage, but they were blown by Kansas State defenders like they weren't even there. And, uh, yeah, Kansas State has only won one game 
against UMKC this season. And uh, if anyone was still holding out hope that this might be uh, there might be some good things this basketball season, I think yesterday really dropped a bomb on you and made you think, wow, this team has got a long way to go before they're competitive with any Big 12 team with any Big 12 teams. I think my favorite moment was the missed dunk. Um, in the, I, I forgot who who it was, but There's I did see Gordon. that clip. There's one Gordon, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Wide open, dunk, can't make it. Um, I, I mean, the thing that it's funny that really didn't even register with me. But the one that I think blew me away was uh, there was a moment where um, Fort Hayes got got the ball to their big man, um, who who's pretty good. He averages like something like twenty points a game against teams like Washburn, Emporia State, and whatever. Um, but he shouldn't just be dominating against Kansas State. But they got him the ball. Um, Kansas State's uh, big. I, I can't remember if it was Carlton Lingard or Davion Bradford, but stood in front of them, one-on-one matchup. Uh, big height advantage for Kansas State, big athletic van- advantage for Kansas State. And this guy just blew by him, easy layup. I mean, no no, no contest at all about what was going to happen. It, it, it was like you were watch- – like the roles were reversed almost. The, the D2 mm-hmm. looked like the D1 team. It was That's how bad it was. And, and just to, you know, just to put a cherry on top, um, you know, typically games uh, where Division One play Division Two opponents don't count in the standing or toward um, a, a rating, a computer rating for the Division One program. Uh, they use them as an ex- use those games as exhibition games. They don't count. Well, last night, Fort Hayes State, that game didn't count for that program because they have a maximum number of games that they can play this year. So, this one would have counted against it, so they couldn't count that game. But Kansas State did count this game. This this game goes on the record. Um, it wasn't an exhibition for the Wildcats. It is a loss to a Division II program. So, all right, Kellis, it is it is, and it's the first time they've lost to a in-state team not named Kansas or Wichita State since 1945. How about that? Oh my gosh! Wow! Wow! And they play a lot of. I mean, they they play they they play one or two every year in in, um, in exhibition games. So, well, here we are. Um, you know, uh, Big Twelve plays right around the corner in this COVID shortened schedule. Uh, you know, they'll be they'll be playing Big Twelve games here pretty soon. Uh, Is all lost? I mean, there there were some moments in the first few games, or some some individuals that you saw, and you say, yeah, you know, well, they make, they can hang their hat on on him, or they can maybe do this, and you know, Bruce Weber's been in this position before with rebuilding teams. Um, he he seems to you know he seems to get that job done, but uh, last night's outcome was so discouraging that uh, I, I don't know what I see in store for this K State team. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could at least point out some positives from the first three games, uh, even though they only won one of them. Or I guess it was first four. I can't even keep track anymore. But, uh, yeah, last night kind of erased all that. If you're going to point to anything, any saving grace at all, it's that Kansas State was shorthanded last night. They did not have Casey Iziagu, their starting center. They did not have Mont- Montavious Murphy, who was – uh, they're starting power forward in game one, and they didn't have Luke Kasuke, uh, a freshman uh, guard who's one of their best shooters. So they're down three guys. They only had a few days to prepare for this game. I'm not saying by any means that excuses what happens. What happened, um, Kansas State as a Division One team should still be able to just to roll whatever players they have out there and win that matchup. 
it didn't happen. But again, if you're looking for any any sauce at all, maybe when those guys get back, the team starts to improve a little bit, especially on defense. I mean, giving up 81 points last night was the biggest uh, biggest red flag to me. In game one, that's what everybody said. Oh, well, we gave up a lot of points, but you know what? We've always played good on defense. We'll get this thing, fit, this thing fixed. It doesn't seem like it's happening. Um, they looked more out of place than ever last night against the Division II team, and they were scoring a will on them. So, I mean, if you're looking for positives, I still do like Nigel Pack at point guard. I think he's a very encouraging and promising player moving forward. Uh, I, overall, I like what Mike McGrill has done, especially uh, last night showing a little bit of leadership. But out of, outside of those two things, there's not a whole lot going right right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you on McGurl. I, I, I'm I liked what I heard from him after the game last night that he put it on his shoulders and um you know didn't didn't duck and run you know he he stood up and and took the took the questions last night so hey let's switch it to football real quick Kellis uh, you you wrote about this today you had a conversation with Gene Taylor the athletic director and I think the um, one of the pieces of information that people would find most most interesting is even though the Wildcats, you know, regular season uh, football season is over with a four and six record, with five straight losses to end the regular season, they're still in not only in a position to go to a bowl game, but likely to go to a bowl game. Is that right? Yeah, um, I mean the math checks out for them. The Big Twelve has seven uh, seven bowl partners, and Kansas State finished seventh in the Big Twelve standings. So as long as those games get played. Um, Kansas State is expecting to get an invite. They should get an invite. And as of right now, they're planning to accept it. Um, that could change if uh, too many players get COVID and they're not health, healthy enough to go. If they're just uh, – or if the bowl game or, – or some of those bowl games get canceled, that could, uh, you know, throw a wrench in those plans. But as of right now, both Chris Kleiman and Gene Taylor are on record as saying that uh, they want to play in a bowl game. They want to keep practicing. They want to give these guys an extra, extra chance to compete. So I would uh, look look uh, just after Christmas. I think they're probably going to be playing in either Phoenix in uh, what they're now calling the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which was previously the Cheez-It Bowl, which is now actually what uh, they're calling a, a bowl game in Orlando. So very confusing. Um, <laughs> but that they're in the running for that or uh, another bowl called the First Responder Bowl in Dallas, which I believe is played at the uh, SMU football stadium. And those are both the day after Christmas. It'll be a short turnaround. If they make it, the games will be announced on the 20th. Then they'll have to hit the road and be there on the 26th for a game. So that'll be interesting to see uh, how they game plan for that. But, but yeah, as of right now, I mean, as weird as it sounds, uh, they want to go to a bowl of four wins. And, again, right now, write it in pencil, not ink. But right right now, it seems like it's going to happen. And we do know some bowls have, are off the table. They, not, in the, not necessarily the Big 12 contracted bowls, but other bowls. I think it's up to 10 uh, bowl games that aren't going to be played this year because – of COVID and they just have decided not to play them. Yeah. And like, like I said, that's always a possibility. Some of these games uh, could, could just decide that it's not worth it. They're not going to play. And um, yeah, even some of the bowls that are going on, they've announced they're not going to have fans. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time. Hey, and the other thing in that story, Callis, and we'll link to it in the show notes, um, uh, such a revealing story. 80 football players had, tested positive for COVID this year. I hadn't seen a number like that for any other program until I read your story with Gene Taylor's comments. That that was striking to me. I had no idea that the, the totals, this is you know not, never at one time, but over the course of several months, had as many as 80 players test positive? 
Yep, yep. It was, uh, I believe, it just a shade under 80 was the uh, official count last time I checked. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a big number to swallow. And I, I thought it was interesting that uh, Gene pointed out that once you add in contact tracing and people who didn't get it and still had to sit out, you had over 100 players missing minimum 14 days of, uh, you know, practice games or whatever this season. So that just goes to show you how hard it was for – for Kansas State to uh, manage the coronavirus, to avoid COVID, and uh, kind of explains why they were short, so shorthanded in some games. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, Callis, great catching up with you, and we will do it again soon. All right. Thanks, Blair. Have a good one. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Pickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Gary Bedore, Jesse Newell, and Callis Robinette. Their stories on college basketball can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com and WichitaEagle.com. Hey, we have another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get that? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product, sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.com kansascity.com slash subscribe and if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers send me an email bkirkoff at kcstar.com and I'll get you to the right place so whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC thanks for listening and we'll be back on Thursday with another episode